This session is from the 2022 Shepherds 360 Church Leaders Conference. For more information, please visit shepherds360.org. All right, well, good morning to all of you. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Nicholas Ellen. I am the Senior Professor of Biblical Counseling at the College of Biblical Studies. I also do some uh, teaching at Bob Jones University of Biblical Counseling. I also do some teaching at uh, Western Baptist Theological Seminary. And I do some teaching at Central Baptist Theological Seminary and I happen to be a pastor at the same time. So I'm not bored. Uh, it's always a lot to do. I've uh, been uh, teaching biblical counseling now for over 27 years, and uh, God has been faithful to allow me to see the power of it in churches. And so excited to see you all here. Looking forward to hopefully encouraging some of you to think about the power of biblical counseling. Uh, think about the reality that it's needed. Most people that I talk to, they don't even know there's a difference between secular humanistic psychology and biblical counseling. Mm. And so then I get the privilege of challenging them to see that there's a difference and that all counseling is not created equal. Amen. And that uh, there is sufficiency of scripture and how we need Amen. to embark on that in order to help people. And there's a difference between the physiological and the immaterial. Many of those things people assume we know, but we really don't know at times. And so my job today is to try to just give you an introduction of first the need for biblical counseling. And then part two, we get a little bit more into some of the process to see why we need biblical counseling and to expand on that. But before we do, can we open up in a word of prayer? Father, we do thank you for your grace, your mercy. You're so kind to us. You'll never leave us, nor forsake us. We ask, Lord, that you show us how we could use your word. You said it gives us everything we need for life and godliness. Now guide us to see it, to understand it, embrace it, Lord God, and be vessels of honor in your hands to help our people and those who do not belong to us to belong to us. For your glory and their good, we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, come on in. I'm sorry for that. That's okay, lock that door right there. We're going to make it go to the back. There you go. You can tell I've been teaching for a while. Ron, so what I want to do to talk about biblical counsel, biblical counsel is a passion for mine. It's so much of a passion that I studied it for years and years and years, uh, began teaching it over the years, and as a shepherd, it has saved me a lot of time in working with individuals. As an outreach, it's a wonderful plan because it gives you an avenue to get people at the heart of where they are. And what I tell people all the time is, the quickest way to a person is through their pain. And the moment you can address a person in their pain with the sufficiency of scripture, uh, there's transformation that can take place. But before we begin to discuss those things, let me give you what we call a working definition of what biblical counseling is. Because again, you cannot defend what you don't first define. So let's begin to talk about that. When we talk about biblical counseling, and it's here in your notes with us, biblical counseling can be defined. Now, please pay attention and scrutinize every word I say. Using the word of God within the context it was written. Now, remember, if you take a text out of context, you always get a con. All right, remember that. Within the context it was written to provide solutions and the application of those solutions to non-organic immaterial, spiritual, what the world calls psychological or mental disorder problems. Every one of those words is specific. Biblical counseling has the ability, through the word of God, to address the issues that are non-physical. 
Now, there's always a lot of debate about, quote unquote, mental disorders. Mm -hmm. Is it a physiological issue or is it a spiritual issue? I'd love to get into that debate, but we cannot because I don't have the time. That's why I need three hours with you. But the reality is many things that the world will call a mental disorder is really a spiritual issue that can be addressed through the sufficiency of Scripture. And the more we understand that, we know the Word of God is deep enough to address the most shallow to the most complex. So when we're talking about biblical counsel, we're talking about things that are non-physical. Again, if you have a broken bone, we'll lay hands on you to carry you to the doctor. <laughs> if you have a broken spirit, we bring you to the Messiah. Amen. Physical pain versus immaterial pain are two different things. And I always tell people physical pain, we need medicine. Immaterial pain, we need the Messiah. The word of God is sufficient. So when we're talking about biblical counseling, this is just a working definition. But let me expand on that definition. The Word of God is used in a precise and efficient manner to address these matters. Now, to be specific about efficient and precise, do you remember when Jesus was being tempted and he said, it is written, it is written. It was the rhema, the specific word from the word he used to address each issue. Mm -hmm. Biblical counseling takes God's word within the context and specifically applies it with the issue at hand. Not proof texting, not just randomly trying to preach your way out of a situation, but specifically taking what God says to address the specific issues of man's life. That's real biblical counseling. It's not just opening the Bible. Someone is drunk. The Bible says, do not drink. Therefore, we're soft. No, 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 no. It goes into the issues of man's hearts, yes. understanding how and what to do from Scripture to address the specific motivations behind the issues, not just the issues themselves. In other words, it doesn't just address the fruit. It deals with the root that creates the fruit. So the word of God is used anticipating the salvation of sinners and the sanctification of saints as a result. Biblical counseling also can be defined as using the word of God to give comprehensive answers. And I keep emphasizing non-physical problems on a small group level or on an interpersonal level. So when we're talking about biblical counseling, we're talking about issues that, again, the Word of God can handle. We're not talking about your plumbing, okay? We're not talking about your car. We're talking about your soul. You know, if there's a broken bone, we tell people, go to the doctor. If there's a broken heart, the Word of God, through the power of God, is efficient to address those matters. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, biblical counseling is what we call applied systematic theology, if you don't have a solid conservative theology, you cannot do good biblical counseling. And too often when people come into my classes, they haven't had any theology. I send them out. You can't do this without knowing your Bible, without understanding the doctrine of the Trinity, the doctrine of eschatology, the doctrine of harmatology. You have to know your Bible and know your theology because... Biblical counseling is just the practical side of those things. How do we take those issues and work it out in people's lives? Understanding the process of change, understanding the nature of salvation, sanctification, and all the issues that are involved in that process. So with that in mind, it is, if we go back one, the practical ministry that comes out of knowing and understanding the Bible and theology of the Bible. Biblical counseling is the practical, comprehensive ministry of what we call soul care that comes out of knowing and understanding systematic theology. So all of this is trying to give you a working big picture of what we mean when we say biblical counseling. Now, with that in mind, I want to try to break some things down for you and consider it from this standpoint. 
There's an agenda for biblical counseling because biblical counseling follows the overall agenda of what God is trying to accomplish right now in this dispensation of time. So when you think about it from the standpoint of this, there are some things that God is doing and he wants us to be involved in the process. So is it safe to say if we walk to the Bible that God is saving souls? So we can say he's saving souls from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and soon the presence of sin. Is that right? Amen. Am I saving a soul? Are you saving a soul? No. God is saving a soul. So I always tell people, stop trying to play the Holy Spirit, be used by the Holy Spirit. (laughs) We are not God, so we can't fix people. We can only facilitate a process of change. We can't force a fix. Amen. The moment we understand that, we're free to be vessels in the hands of God. So God is saving souls. God is maturing saints into the image of Christ. Are you maturing saints? But you're the vessel by which he uses to do that. I tell people all the time, and correct me if I'm wrong, the Trinity means what? Three, Three, right? So is there any such thing as a junior Holy Spirit? No. (laughs) That would not make it three anymore, would it? So my challenge to people is, you are not God. You are not the one that will make anyone do anything. You are part of a process. As I tell people all the time, my leadership is not for me. My leadership is for you. Let me explain it. If you listen to me today, what changes in my life? Nothing. If you don't listen to me today, what changes in my life? My leadership is for you. Whether you listen or not, I still have to take the trash out when I go home today. Right? So the moment you recognize that, you love people and lead them as God allows, not as you want. Because it's bigger than us. So biblical counseling understands this, but also it understands that God is using the church through evangelism to save souls and using the church through discipleship. So think about it. When the Bible tells us to go make disciples of all nations, if I'm in a counseling room and an individual does not belong to Jesus Christ, immediately what does my counseling move towards? Evangelism. If I'm in the counseling room and the person belongs to Jesus Christ, immediately what does my counseling move towards? So guess what? Every Christian should be a counselor. Amen. So when people think, oh, I can't do biblical counseling, well, you don't understand what biblical counseling is. When someone sits down with you and they're not a believer, you are immediately the ambassador to their lives. And as the ambassador that's been given the ministry of reconciliation, that person is in sin. And they're going to tell you a whole bunch of issues about a whole bunch of things. But ultimately, their root problem is a sin condition that needs salvation. A believer comes to you. They're going to talk about a lot of things. But ultimately, there are two sides of every person. We suffer and we sin. Deal with their suffering. Deal with their sin. Embrace them. Weep with those that weep. Rejoice with those that rejoice. And as we deal with their suffering, and then we help them to see, is it possible that there's some sin issues we need to address, which then pulls it back to the sanctification issue. The moment we recognize this about counseling, we have a goal that ties to the ultimate agenda that we've been given as Christians at this time in life. We're ambassadors. We're builders. So pulling that together, biblical counseling is an avenue whereby evangelism and discipleship can take place, resulting in God using it to save a soul from the power, the penalty, and soon presence of sin, and maturing saints into the image of Christ. So every Christian, again, should be a counselor. Let me see if I can put it to you this way. This is the big picture I tell people in my courses as I'm working with them. We've got to understand the major issue of why God saved us. We think about it from a practical perspective. Again, we've been saved from the penalty of sin. We've been saved from the power of sin. Soon the presence of sin. But in that process, did God not change our position from sinner to saint? Is that true? 
They did not change our condition from being dead to being alive. But for what purpose? Three central purposes. Number one, that we may know him. John 17, 3 says, this is eternal life that we may know. And the Greek word for know is not just intellectual. It is a familiar. It's an experiential connecting to God. Does that make sense? Yes. So it says in the Old Testament that the Israelites saw the acts of God, but Moses knew his ways. So we were not only saved to know him, but secondly, to become like him. Second Corinthians 3.18 says, from glory to glory, we're being transformed into the image of Christ. And then thirdly, to be useful to him. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. Now, you as a saint, if we understand that that is the big picture of our existence right now, every problem that we run into comes back to these three major realities. And when I'm counseling people, I help them see these three major realities. Number one, in the midst of what you're experiencing right now, what attribute of God do you think he's trying to expose to you to embrace in this moment of your life? Because Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it's impossible to please God for he who comes to him must believe that he what? Yes. Is. So God will allow you to go through in order to grow through in order to embrace the reality of his presence. Some of you read the 23rd Psalm. Some of you know the shepherd of the 23rd Psalm. There's a difference, isn't it? Yes, there is. God will allow you to suffer and experience many good and negative things to guide you to embrace the reality because you've been saved to know him intimately. But also a second reality is as you're going through things, God is trying to also build your character. You and I were meant to reflect the character, the conduct, the conversations, the commitments, the community, the very connection of reflecting the nature of Jesus Christ. So everything that we are going through is to grow us into embracing the reality of his presence, to reflect him, but thirdly, to be useful to God. And being useful to God builds on our theology of relationships. Why did God put us in relationships? Not to be happy, but to move towards holiness. Happiness is always a byproduct of accomplishing God's agenda in relationships. Amen. The problem we have is there is a gap between our character and our calling, and that's our connecting. And churches fail because we don't know how to play nice with each other. And we can't fulfill the calling because the calling is tied to character and character again is tied to connecting. There is nothing on earth more valuable than a relationship. Biblical counseling helps to unfold these central realities that everything in your life, it's about leading you to know him, become like him, to be useful to him. And so everything, you say, well, why did God let me suffer in this matter? Well, let's discuss what he's trying to expose to you and letting you suffer. Is it safe to say that there's something about him he wants you to embrace? For many years, I did not embrace that God was faithful. Oh, I would teach it. I would preach it, exegete it well. But practically, I didn't embrace it. And I suffered many years because God was trying to lead me not to just intellectually understand he was faithful, but to embrace it. Mm -hmm. Many of you, you know the grace of God, but you haven't truly embraced the grace of God. So there are many attributes of God that many of you right now, God is trying to lead you to experience. Biblical counseling brings that out. There are many character issues. God wants you to adjust and there are relationship issues. When I talk to married people, I tell them, listen, you don't have marriage problems. You have character deficiencies that showed up in the marriage. The marriage is fine. It's the character in the marriage that God is trying to unfold because there's somewhere in the life of living to please God, you start living to please self. 
And you can't take something that God created for his glory and try to manipulate it for personal agenda. It'll always fail. But biblical counseling brings out these kind of realities. Am I making sense to you guys? Mm -hmm. So in understanding this need for biblical counseling, consider this person, and I love this guy, and this is a great book to get on biblical counseling. His book is called The Theology of Biblical Counseling. Dr. Heath Lambert says this, the information unbelievers come to know by God's common grace is simply not as important for counseling as the truth God reveals in the Bible about how Jesus changes people. Troubled people can know much information about counseling through common grace, but what they most deeply need is the Bible to reveal Jesus and his special grace in salvation. Consider this quote. When biblical counselors do their work, they are engaging in a conversation about the questions, the problems, troubles of their counselee, and seeking to offer answers, solutions, and help. All manner of information may be true and available to a counselor, that is not relevant for the answers, solutions, and help offered in counseling. The issue is not the existence and importance of extra-biblical information made possible by the means of God's common grace. The issue concerns the nature of central information vital to a task, such as counseling versus peripheral information. So it's not an issue or is there extra-biblical material? Is it needed for the task that God has given us for counseling? Consider this, when biblical counselors emphasize the use of scripture to the exclusion of other resources, it's not a denial that the accurate information is available in other places. It's a statement that no other source of information, no matter how true, offers the kind of help and counseling that God's word does in the moment. See, we're not debating is there extra biblical affirmation we are challenging the use and necessary need for it as it relates to the issues of the heart that God has fully addressed through his word. So these are the kind of things that we want to talk about. But what we're trying to say is, why do we need biblical counseling? And I'm trying to present an argument for some of you who maybe you've never thought about it. Some of you, you've heard some things, maybe you've heard some negative things about it. But there's a reason why we need it. But let me get more biblical why we need it. I want you to open your Bibles with me, and I think I brought mine with me. If you came, the biblical counselor and bring the Bible with him, that would not look well for a course on biblical counseling, now would it? So here are some of the things that I want to encourage you on, and we'll spend a few minutes left, and guys, keep me on time. This is normally a three-hour lecture that I do, so I'm doing it in 45 minutes. Where are we on time right now? What time is it? 10.31. 10.30, all right, so i got to make this quick. All right. So we need biblical counsel because we have been warned in Scripture not to pursue human wisdom for our insights for living. Now, do you remember uh, there's a difference between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God? Are we clear on that? We've seen that through Scripture, right? Anything that does not line up with God's word is called wicked. Now, the challenge you have to ask when you look at secular humanistic psychology, which is created by men and women who deny that God exists, Right. Is it safe to say that that is the wisdom of the world or the wisdom of God? So why would I take the wisdom of the world to help God's people out? Some do. And therein lies the problem. Because they don't know the distinction. They're taking that which is not of God to try to help those who belong to God. And scripture warns us, which is why we need biblical counseling. So letter A, we are warned in scripture not to trust human wisdom for principles for living, for understanding the human attitudes, motives, behaviors. And our solution for man's inner problems, problems that are non-organic. Look with me at Psalm chapter 1 for just a moment. Psalm chapter 1. And let's look at verses 1 
to verses 2 to kind of help us in our argument. He says, how blessed is a man who does not walk in the, what's that key word there? Isn't that interesting? Find it everywhere when you're a biblical counselor. And the counsel of the wicked, the word wicked there is that which is antithetical to the will and ways of God. How blessed is a man who does not walk in insight that is antithetical to the will and ways of God. Now, it's interesting. It says, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Notice the progression. Walk. You're getting caught up in it. Stand. It gets really good and juicy. And then before you know it, you're sitting down under the council. A brilliant picture to show you the danger of that insight, which is antithetical to the will and ways of God. But he says, blessed is a man who does not walk in the council. We are warned. Now, here's the challenge. And I do this with my students all the time. Are psychological principles antithetical to the will and ways of God? And most of them say, well, I don't know. I said, go research and let's talk about it. And what they'll discover is, yes, it is. It's worldview. It's understanding of God. It's understanding of the nature of man. It's antithetical to what God says. So would that not, by nature, what this passage says, make that wicked counsel? Yes. So why would I take wicked counsel and bring it to righteous individuals by faith? It's inconsistent. And the Bible tells us and warns us not to do this. Turn to Colossians chapter 2, mm-hmm. verse 8. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. One of my favorite passages to help us to think through this principle. Again, I'm trying to present why do we need biblical counsel? Because scripture tells us not to go to any other counsel that is antithetical to his will. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 tells us this. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men. Now, most people read that and say, see, you shouldn't have philosophy. Philosophy is evil. Now, look at the context. Philosophy and empty deception according to the what? According to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. Philosophy is not the issue. It's the kind of philosophy that you're listening to is the issue. Is secular humanistic psychology the wisdom of the world or is it the wisdom of God? Wisdom of the world. So if it's the wisdom of the world, why am I trying to take it and integrate it with God's word in order to try to help God's people? It's inconsistent. It doesn't match. People say, well, you know, we can learn from the system. We can learn from the world. I tell people a broke clock is right twice a day. <laughs> okay. Now, I'm not saying that there are things that we can't learn, but that's not the goal when all I need is here. They say, but wait a minute. What about when psychology gets it right and they say what the Bible says? I say, well, isn't that interesting? If they're getting it right and they're saying what the Bible says, do I need what they have to say if I already have it here? Mm-hmm. No. They say, but can't we integrate the best that they have to offer? Okay, well, tell me, how do you integrate the best of what the world has to offer with that which is superior to what the world has to offer? Give me an idea. Well, you know, we can take what they do that's good and mix it with Scripture. Well, how do we know what they're doing is right? Well, see, then we look at the Scripture, and if what they're doing lines up with Scripture, then we take it. Well, is that really integration? No. Am I making sense to you? These are the kind of battles that biblical counseling, we have to challenge a lot to say, We're not against unbelievers. We're not against psychology. Psychology is just not what's necessary for the Christian. You say, but how can you say that? We can learn a lot from them. There are some things that we can learn by observation, absolutely. 
But the interpretation is where we get in trouble. If I put a secular humanistic psychology, a Christian counselor, and a biblical counselor in the same room and said, there's a man beating his wife. Observation, I could ask all three of them, what do we see here? Well, there's a man beating his wife. Okay, we all see the observation. But here's the second question that everything will go crazy. Why do you suppose this man is beating his wife? We're going to get three different answers, and somebody's lying. Does that make sense? So that's why Proverbs tells us, trust in the Lord with all your and lean not on your own understanding as a human observation without a biblical interpretation. I'm not against observations. I'm scared of the interpretations that are inconsistent with what God says is true. And we have to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And that's why the scripture tells us when it comes to our counseling, getting insight on how to live our lives, we were intended to get it from scripture. Now, you're saying, are you telling me I can't read outside sources of material? Absolutely not. If we take it in the biblical perspective, is it in line with truth? Then praise the Lord. Whereas it consistent with truth, then we understand that God tells us we're not to get our insight for living there. So with that in mind, we are warned in Scripture not to trust our own wisdom because we can be deceived by our own wisdom. Remember that verse I just quoted, lean not on your own understanding? Here's what I've discovered as a shepherd. When you lean on your own understanding, see if I can put it up here, you find a lot of this going on with people when they lean on their own understanding. One, they live by their perception. Then they live by their preferences. They make a whole lot of presumptions. And they feel a lot of pain based upon their presumptions and preferences and perceptions of others. And they practice a lot of things as inconsistent with the will and ways of God. Let me give an example. Let's say I have stupid written on my forehead. I can't see it. Only you can see it. And every time I say something, my forehead, it says he is stupid. Every time I say something, how will you interpret what I'm saying? That I'm... Now, I may be the smartest man in the room, but if your perception of me is that, you're living by your perception, not reality, which is you're leaning on your own understanding. What happens when what I want from you becomes more important than what God has commanded me to do for you? I can't see you according to my responsibility. I see you according to my selfish ambition. Why? Because I'm leaning on my own understanding. Well, then, if I'm looking at you according to what I think about you and how I think you ought to live, then every time you say something, I'm presuming upon you based upon how I see you, not what you said. And then I feel a lot of pain, but guess who I think is causing the pain? You. And then I come to counseling for you to make me feel better about all these things that I believe don't exist because of my own perceptions. That's the danger of leaning on your own understanding. And we have a whole secular system that is created to say to you, love yourself. You deserve whatever you want in life. And it's about you. I love that kind of stuff. Just scripture tells me to die to myself. It's just a problem. Mm-hmm. Biblical counseling cuts to the core. I was teaching this. This woman said to me, wait a minute. First of all, I think you're arrogant. And I think you are narrow-minded and know what you're talking about. I said, this is going to be good. <laughs> okay, talk to me. Why do you think I'm arrogant and narrow-minded? Well, I went to a therapist and it worked. I said, can you define what you mean by work? She said, I feel so much better. I said, ma'am, if I gave you a joint and some liquor, would you feel better as well? And the whole class <gasps> I said, ma'am, if the goal is to feel better, you didn't need a therapist. There are many ways to feel better. 
So if I got a nail in my tail and I go to a doctor and I tell them I got a nail in my tail and they say, oh, I just hate you going through so much pain. You know, here's some medicine. Go home, take this medicine, hug yourself and tell yourself, I love you. I love you. I love you. And I come out and say, I feel better. What's still there? Mm-hmm. Biblical counseling is not trying to help you feel better. It's trying to guide you to become better by dealing with the source of the pain, not trying to relieve the pain. The symptom. Whereas secular humanistic ideology is telling you it's the people, it's the past, it's your parents, it's the pressures, it's the pains, it's the problems of life. Biblical counseling says, no, that's the context by which you've made choices, which exposes the heart. You see the difference? We need biblical counseling because it gets to the core of what's happening. It doesn't lie. It tells you what you need to hear. Here's the third thing. We are instructed in Scripture that God's wisdom is superior to man's wisdom. Therefore, man's wisdom should not be added to God's wisdom as solutions to man's inner problems. We see that in 1 Corinthians, where it talks about if God could be foolish, even in his foolishness, he's wiser than the wisest man that ever existed. We're instructed in Scripture that God's wisdom is sufficient to counsel the inner person. We see that all throughout the Bible. So the need for biblical counseling is that it starts with the problem and leads the person back. The church was meant to guide us into the reality of how to live this life from salvation to sanctification to glorification. We fall off the wagon. Would you agree? Mm -hmm. And as we fall off the wagon, biblical counsel says, let me catch you either at the point of salvation to show you that you never got on the wagon. Let me catch you at the point where you are saved, but you're falling off to guide you back into sanctification to ultimately accomplish what will happen by the power of God. When we understand that, we recognize that biblical counseling can be a wonderful tool for outreach as well as support in the church. With that in mind, let me give you some quotes and then we'll stop here. And I think I'm supposed to give you some time to ask questions. So let me read a couple of these and I want to open the floor for the time we have left. In a biblical understanding, here's Dr. Heath Lambert. Effective counsel always springs from a combination of an appropriate biblical strategy used by a counselor with an effective manner and received by a counselor who is willing to hear all working under the grace of God. The Bible does not base counseling effectively on one independent variable, but on a combination of variables. Consider this. There is no reason for man to separate with research what God has joined together. In any event, the Bible never teaches that we must engage in empirical research to demonstrate the effectiveness of biblical ministry. This idea is actually grounded more in secular empiricism than in the belief in biblical authority. Empiricism teaches that something is not true until science has proven it to be true. Biblical authority teaches that something is true when what? God declares it to be true. Of course, knowing exactly what God declares to be true is often complicated. But in our efforts to discern truth, God did not prescribe empirical research, but gave us a Bible that serves as his own interpreter, a community of faith into which to understand the Bible and pastors given the task of teaching. When the worldview of empiricism takes hold of the ministry of a counselor, it means death to the unique kind of counseling effectiveness that is grounded in faithfulness to the scriptures. We must think, or we must, what must God think when his people talk about the principles of his word only after they have been filtered through secular psychology? To be clear, Christians are happy when empirical research demonstrates the truthfulness and effectiveness of the Bible. There are even some places where such information can advance the cause of Christ. But when counselors demonstrate that everything good God says 
has been empirically demonstrated to work, it undermines biblical authority by prizing the research that proves it to be true over God's authoritative statements that make it true. It makes empirical proof the authority instead of God's word. So, again, part two is coming to try to convince you. If you're not already convinced there's a need for biblical counseling, we'll want to stop here. How much time do we have? 15 minutes. 15 minutes? Bring it on. Comments, concerns, criticisms, whatever. Bring them on. Let's talk for about 15 minutes. What's on your mind? Yes, ma'am, and then I'll come back to you. There's always a need for counseling, and it's always the same issues. It's not physiological, it's immaterial. And so whether it's a young person, an elderly person, whatever new name they're giving it, it's always the same issues, issues of the heart that the scripture can address. So I would say the problem is not counseling that's necessary. What kind of counseling are they promoting that's necessary? Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, just the overall trend, though, that uh, the teens, especially teen girls, are. what is the issue and how to direct parents? I'm a tennis coach, and I'm seeing this as younger and younger with these girls who are... Um, Stating, you know, that it's a kind of a what do you want to say, status symbol or something to get that counseling. I'm seeing a oh, yeah, I'm seeing a yeah. counselor. You know, uh, how to, I don't know, direct parents or. I think the key will be to direct them back to, in saying that, who are you saying and what are you saying them about? Does it line up with what God says, and is it really necessary? I would just respectfully challenge that in every way possible. Again, not be nasty. But be firm. I'm going to get to you, sir. Yep. The lady here, and then I'll come to you, sir. Yes, ma'am. Me? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Um, there seems to be a huge push these days to, um, to discuss people in terms of narcissism. And I've seen a lot of YouTube videos on it, and my sister's reading a book on supposedly narcissism from a biblical perspective. Um, my feeling is it's called pride in yes. the Bible. And you don't really need that aspect. And I've noticed what's coming out of it is a desire to define absolutely everybody as a narcissist. And in the secular world, you can't deal with narcissists. You're never going to change them until you reject them. So I'd like your thoughts on that. The way you call something always determines how you treat it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And too often, what we've done as Christians, we're adopting the culture's ideologies of what they're calling it versus going back to the biblical thing of what it's called. Right. Part of my teaching in biblical counseling is to challenge people, give back to what God calls it, mm-hmm. and then you treat it that way. Satan's. I've been trying to tell her, so I'm oh, well, I'm that's it. Track. You're trying to tell her, but remember, people want to be strong and wrong. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so when people are strong and wrong, sometimes they have to fail before they listen. Okay. Does that make sense? Well, and thank you, because it helps me to keep perspective. Absolutely. They, you know, these things, they can be powerfully persuasive. So it's good to hear confirmation. Oh, yeah. And it's delicious. Yeah. I mean, my flesh likes delicious stuff. <laughs> but when you call it what it really is, that means you have to treat it the way. That's what Satan does. Satan has twisted things. Uh-huh. We call it something different. He calls sin, sickness, so then you never seek salvation. Right. Uh-huh. right. So whenever you call something sickness and you make it a disease versus a sin, there's no real hope. And then what do you have left? Medication. But when you call it what God calls it, you can get the solution that God gives, and then there's transformation. But we have to be wise in how we handle that. We'll come here, then we'll come back to you, sir, and then we'll come to you. Yes, yes sir. Even off of that kind of statement, 
you know, we've got a young lady in our church that's like, hey, biblical counseling, because we prominent proponents of it. We have proponents of it. And, uh, but they're like, it just can't work for me because I'm, I have a disease. I'm sick. You know, what? how would you, and I, I have an MA in biblical counseling. I, I, I'm like, I can destroy that argument. But what's your general approach? Because I, I, I like, for this young lady, I want to be less bulldog and more, you know, I would help loving her, brother. <laughs> help me, I would say, help me understand when you say sickness. Tell me what you mean. Mm-hmm. Now, if I could show you in Scripture where everything you just defined as sickness, the Scripture shows comes from the heart. Mm-hmm. Would you be willing to hear me and show you that? Would you be willing to let me show you that? Mm-hmm. And then if she's open. Because remember, when I tell people, counseling is for people who want it. Mm-hmm. I can't force anybody to listen to me. But I will give them a suggestion. If you're open, I'd love to share with you the distinction between what you said and what Scripture says about that. And I'd love to show you that what you think is physiological, Scripture shows is immaterial, and you're not sick. There's just some sin issues or immaterial heart issues that we can work out together. And God's Word has the answer. Would you be interested? Yeah. Well, I don't want all that. Let me pray for you. (laughs) I've learned as a pastor. (laughs) When as a pastor, please hear me well, guys, and this will save you time. Uh, Is it safe to say, let me just talk Bible for Christians. I'm talking about Christians now, not unbelievers. Just talking Bible. Tell me if I'm wrong. When we put our faith in the personal work of Jesus Christ, is it safe to say we're sealed by the Spirit of God? And we can prove that in Ephesians, right? Is it safe to say that the same power to raise Christ from the dead is within me and within you if we're Christians? Is that right? Amen. Is it also safe to say that in Philippians we are to work out what God has worked within? Amen. So then there's only three reasons why a Christian is not obeying God. Only three. And you learn this and you learn when to stop talking, when to pray, or when to push forward. Only three reasons. Number one, lack of knowledge. I just didn't know. Okay, here we go. Lack of skill. I just didn't know how. Okay, here we go. Lack of will, I just will not. Okay, that's above my pig <laughs> Whom the Lord loves, he what? I stopped debating people who were trying to be strong and wrong years ago. You want to be strong and wrong, I support that, but I'll be waiting for you and I've got ready stuff here to help you clean up the mess. But I can't fight someone who's stubborn. It's above my pig Yeah. And as a pastor, that's when I move into the church discipline. Because what we're not going to do is we're not going to fight this. You're not going to poison the rest of the body who's trying to follow. So it's time for you to exit stage left. We love you, though. And when you're ready, we're here for you. But we're not going to let you be stubborn and strong and wrong, public pouting and creating mess and gossip and confusion because you want to stand on something that's inconsistent. But we love you and we're ready to serve you. You're just not ready for it. You'll discover that when people are strong and wrong, they have to be broken, and you don't have the power to break them. No, no, Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Yeah, but this is actually very related to what you were just saying. Is um, my my experience in biblical counseling started in seminary. I loved my biblical counseling classes. Very practical, um, very edifying. I put it in practice in ministry, and uh, a, a number of times now I've. I, I follow the pattern. I listen to folks. I, I, go, I, I, I give them hope. I go back and pray over it, think about scriptures, and come back to them and counsel them. And oftentimes in those later sessions, when you're really starting to get to the heart issue, they turn on you and say, okay, you're the bad guy. Yes. You're bringing this down, and, and I don't like it. 
And could you address that? Yes. To God be the glory. I learned to suffer well. <laughs> the closer you get to people, the clearer you get to experience and see their depravity. Yeah. Yeah. And that goes back to Galatians 6.1. If any man is caught in sin, you who are spiritual, go restore such a one. But be careful, lest you too be tempted. For instance, if you confront me about anger and I'm not ready to deal with it, what are you going to experience from me? Anger. Right? If you confront me about my deception and I'm not ready to deal with it, what am I going to try to do when you confront me? See, I have to be prepared knowing that just because I'm sharing it with you doesn't mean you want to hear it and you're going to accept what I say. And you'll probably give me the very thing that I'm trying to confront you about. Does that make sense? So that's why that Galatians 6.1 is so powerful because it helps us understand I'm going to someone who's caught in sin. So more than likely, I may be rejected by them. So... If I'm taking it personal, then maybe God is trying to expose me about some character deficiencies I need to work on. Does that make sense? I've learned that people love you and hate you all in 30 seconds. That's right. But I always tell people I'm not consumed with what you think of me so I can spend time caring for you as your shepherd. Because the goal is not that you like me, it's that I choose to love you. And sometimes loving you means exposing things you don't want to hear. Not because I want to, because I'd rather be home watching a game, in all honesty. <laughs> but because I'm a shepherd, God told me I have to do this. So, does that make sense? Yeah, well, yeah. Okay. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Did I miss you? I think you had your hand up. I'm sorry. No, go ahead, brother. You had your hand up, then I come here, then I come here. Yes, sir. So, um, so I, I personally really admire, like, biblical counseling and sort of the effort that's putting forth. Um, part, of the, part of the reason for that caveat is because... Um, I've been reading a little bit of Dr. Boyd Jones and his book Preaching and Preachers. Um, have you had a chance to read that? Book? Not yet. Okay. Not so yet. he's got. He talks a little bit about. It's primarily the secular counseling movement and the proliferation of counseling in his time. It's just his, his timeless writing. Um, and he had a he had a critique of counseling where he felt like the the administration of the Holy Spirit through the Word by expository preaching at church would accomplish in mass what counselors often try to do in personal. And part of the reason I, I mentioned that is because I do believe, you know, you mentioned the work of the Holy Spirit, ministry of the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm having trouble formulating my question, but it might be closer to the realm of like the practicality of accomplishing biblical counseling in a pastoral ministry. Yes. Because if you've got 300 people, I mean, well, here we have a thousand people, uh, you know, in each of our two services. So if a baby himself or even all the elders tried to accomplish 2,000 one-on-ones, that'd be, that'd be a tough time. I think that'd be crazy. Um, it would. It would. <laughs> there, yeah. So I got an answer for you, but go and, ahead. And hallelujah. Um, but I guess just the thought, because you know, you're, you're pastoring, you, you have counseling as a part of your lifestyle, but how do you, how do you see counseling practically accomplished in a way that you can sufficiently deal with people personally as you're also dealing with people corporately. See, I wish this was recorded so I can share this with my congregation. It is. It is. It is. Beautiful. <laughs> I'm going to take that question. Here's the reality. It wasn't meant for me to do it all on my own. Amen. Biblical counseling ministry is what I'm always promoting. So I've got people in training right now that I delegate that to, to where eventually there's a team. And so the goal is to find people in the body who have the gift of compassion, the gift of exhortation, the gift of serving in those various areas of people train them in the process, and then you have a team of men and women that you do your biblical counseling on two areas. One, providing the service. Two, providing the training. So that every so often you always have a team of people coming out 
that you're ministering to. My goal is that I do less of it and they do more of it to where I have maybe one or two people. Now, as it relates to the pulpit, exposition of scripture without exegesis of people's hearts is what leads people hanging. And so what happens a lot of times, you have guys who are great expositors, but they don't know the heart of man because they haven't really counseled. And so it leaves people lingering and longing Mm -hmm. for more. Mm -hmm. Biblical counseling can fill in the gap where good exposition is lacking exegesis of heart and application. That's what biblical counseling with a team of individuals can come together and help that. When a pastor gets involved more in biblical counseling, his sermons change. And he wasn't meant to try to minister all of that in an hour. That's why you have a team of people that can get with the more specifics. Does that, does that make sense? I think so. Only thing I might just push back a little bit is that, because I'm, I'm trying to represent the view of Lloyd Jones, but sure. I'm also not Lloyd Jones. He's not here today to right. right. But part of, because you mentioned having a team, and I, I agree with all that. I think that's all well and good. Um, he seemed to think that the, the Holy Spirit would be able to well accomplish the work of the application of the message. So if the, if the minister is able to exposit and to make general application, then the Holy Spirit could be entrusted then to apply that message personally in his work of conviction, um, such that counseling would be less needed because expository preaching was stronger in its full form. That would be true if every preacher knew how to do that. Mm-hmm. But because every preacher doesn't know how to do that, that's why you need a team to fill in the gaps. Now, there are some preachers who can do that well, and they will need counseling less and less at their churches, but many don't do that well. So I wouldn't disagree with his argument. Mm-hmm. I would challenge the, how can I put it, the reality that that will be something that will happen in the evangelical right. church on a practical basis every week. So this is a, I'm sorry, I don't know if I've a little more time, but just put it in an axiom. Are you seeing counseling filling the gap for preaching in the same way that like John Piper sees missions as the gap for worship? in the world. I would that? say that it's more of a supplement, uh, okay. not a, uh, what's the word I want to use? Supplement, not a replacement. Okay. More of a supplement and support. Mm-hmm. Uh, preaching can't do it all. Mm-hmm. It is a major aspect, but that's why you need other ministries like Christian education. Mm-hmm. need other ministries to help come alongside. So I would say it's more of a supplement, okay. not a replacement. Thank you. Sure. Uh, yeah. Yes, sir. Um, I feel like you probably are answering the question, and you've been great. It's awesome. Um, you kind of like you have the mind and you have the heart. So I'm curious, like, what is your take on like the modern American diet? That's an epidemic, and it's kind of a second one in it. Like I can speak personally. If I'm in a bad diet, if I'm kind of out of shape, my mind doesn't work as good. You know, I can't read and understand as good. But then again, you have the heart, and does does a does an unhealthy life. Uh, interrupt the heart, you know, so here's your take on, on things like that. Physiological brain versus the immaterial mind is what you're asking about. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's what you're really basing that on. Where the physiological brain has its place, it cannot override the immaterial mind. Mm-hmm. So, can the physiological brain have impact? Yes, but can it determine choice? No. Okay. That's where you have to really explore, and this is where you get into a lot of the, uh, lack of better words, the science and the challenge of mental disorders. Mm-hmm. Because the real debate in the Christian circles and outside the Christian circles is how much does a physical brain mm-hmm. impact the immaterial mind? And most Christians don't even know there's a difference between the immaterial mind and the physiological brain. Okay. What the culture, and let me put it this way, 
the culture blames the brain for what God holds the heart responsible. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. And therein lies the big debate. And, and would you say then, uh, wouldn't God and God's word be invincible to the things that can happen down here? Oh, yes. Or those interruptions, right? I would say that it's just like any other physiological issue. It can be a temptation. Mm-hmm. Mm. Or we could say the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, weakness, faith, self-control, unless you have hormone imbalances. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you can add anything you want to that to say then anytime you say something physiological can trump the spiritual, then you send the physiological determines our direction mm-hmm. versus as an instrument and influence <clears throat> in our direction. Does that, does that make sense? It does. I'm going to have to think on it. Well, this is why I tell people biblical counseling, which is why, you know, the PhD programs and things of that nature, I push people to do it because what we're really fighting is a biblical theology right. of understanding the nature of man and how the culture, because if we just keep it real simple, the world believes that man is body and brain, physical. He doesn't believe they have anything spiritual. So every phenomenon that we see in life, they always deduce it to the body and brain. The problem is it's inconsistent with what Scripture says about the nature of man. So therefore, biblical counselors, we have to show people and challenge, particularly Christians, not necessarily unbelievers, they need the gospel more, challenge Christians that what the world is saying is a physiological issue, we can show you as an immaterial one. Because they don't have a biblical worldview of the nature of man. So they're not going to deal with man the way God called us to. What better than a biblical counselor who's understanding the nature of the body and the brain and the heart? Which is why I'm going to do a shameless plug. We're going to have a D-Men program coming up at Central Baptist Theological Seminary that will address those issues for those who are interested in counseling at a higher level. Shameless plug. I got it on record, though. (laughs) I think we have time for one more. Is that right? Yes, ma'am. I'm counseling a lady who's been to a secular counselor. It's not working. She's coming for help, but she's already on all these drugs. So how does, I mean, just cold turkey, I don't know if that's why. Oh, no, 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 no. You, you just, you never deal with her drug issues. You address her heart. You just keep dealing with her heart issues. And let her take the drugs? Or? Don't, that's not your place. Because okay. then you'll be sued for trying to be a medical doctor. And right. You just want to deal with her mm-hmm. as far as the spiritual uh, component. But they affect her. Those drugs have. Oh, they do. But see, what you have to do is keep dealing with the heart, as I do with people. And say, you know, I'm wondering about these drugs, if I should stay on them. Yeah. Maybe you should talk to your doctor about stepping down. Maybe he has a method for you to step down. But let me keep helping you see these are the ends. I have people on anxiety medication, all kinds of stuff. The trick of the enemy is to focus on the drugs versus dealing with the issue that they came for at hand. And you don't need any broccoli if you get sick. There you go. There you go. I tell you what, I think by the time you can come talk to me after. Thanks for listening to this session from the 2022 Shepherds 360 Church Leaders Conference. This material is copyrighted and may not be altered or sold. For information, please visit shepherds360.org.